Blog Talk Radio. Morning, animal people, and welcome to the Pet Place Radio Show. I'm Marie Hewitt, and very shortly you're going to hear some must-know information about rabies vaccinations and how your pets may be at risk. Chris Christine from the Rabies Challenge has information that you can't miss. And after our halftime break, Marianne Dell will be back to share her reviews on some absolutely charming books about animals. Before we get started, we need to pause for a very quick station message, but don't go away. This is an episode of the Pet Place Radio Show that you've got to hear on KGIL Retro 1260. Welcome back. You're listening to the Pet Place Radio Show on KGIL Retro 1260. I'm Marie Hewa, and it's my pleasure to introduce our first guest of the morning, Chris Christine from the Rabies Challenge. Welcome to the Pet Place, Chris. Thank you for having me on. Now, I've been getting a lot of your emails and news alerts for a long time now, but I think it's really important that we introduce our listeners to what the Rabies Challenge is all about. Well, the Rabies Challenge Fund is... um a charitable trust that um, I founded in 2005, um, and uh, I am co-trustee of the fund along with um, Dr. W. Jean Dodds, who is one of the world's two leading veterinary vaccine research scientists. And we are a nonprofit. We are all volunteers, all of us. We do this at our own expenses. And um, Dr. Ronald Schultz is our principal investigator, and basically what we're doing is we have been raising funds, which are primarily from the dog-owning public, to conduct five- and seven-year challenge studies on the rabies vaccine according to the USDA Title IX vaccine licensing standard. And this is the same protocol that all licensed rabies vaccines in the United States undergo, and it is the same protocol upon which all state laws are based. And so what we are trying to do is replicate the 1992 challenge study results that the French conducted, which demonstrated that dogs were immune to a rabies challenge five years after vaccination. And a challenge study in the veterinary field is considered the gold standard. Uh, challenge studies are not conducted on human vaccines, and I'll explain why. Uh, challenge study, in a challenge study, they vaccinate the animals involved in the study and isolate them for a certain number of years so that they don't acquire natural immunities to the disease against which they've been vaccinated. Okay. Then, after a certain period of time, they are injected with high doses of virulent virus to see if they are immune. That is called challenging their immune system. Mm-hmm. Um, now, these are much harsher conditions than any animal would experience under normal circumstances. If they are immune, that is considered you know, the gold standard. And as I mentioned, in 1992, um, the French, a French research team led by Michel Aubert 
um, demonstrated that dogs were immune to a rabies challenge five years after vaccination. Now, in this country, we only have vaccines licensed to three years, and the reason for that is that um, there's no financial incentive for the pharmaceutical companies to do the research, which is expensive, that could result in their products being sold less often. Okay. So they don't want anything to change. They prefer that your pet gets vaccinated and vaccinated and vaccinated. And and it's great for them, but not so great for the pet because over-vaccination has some pretty serious health implications, does it not? Well, especially for the rabies vaccine, which is the most potent of all the veterinary vaccines, and is also the one which has the most reported uh, adverse reactions. Let's talk about some of those. Ones. Let's talk about some of those adverse reactions because I think a lot of pet owners may have already experienced seeing these adverse reactions and may not have realized it's because of over-vaccination. Well, yes, um, I'm sure that's true, especially for some of the adverse reactions which take a longer time to develop, such as cancers, mm -hmm. um, you know, so that um, if you, which actually is what happened to my dog, um, Meadow, oh, he was vaccinated, um, he was a yellow lab, and he was vaccinated with the rabies vaccine. Two months later, he developed a strange lump, literally directly on the site of his vac uh, vaccination. Wow. And you could even see the syringe hole still in the center. It looked like a little volcano. And at first, the veterinarians thought that it was a sterile abscess reaction to the vaccination. Well, you know, they misdiagnosed it several times. It never went away. And then when they finally got it right, it, they realized that it was a uh, mast cell cancerous tumor, mm -hmm. and um, when, you know, by the time they got around to, well, they did the surgery, they did not get clean margins, and it metastasized throughout his body, and it oh. ended up killing him. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, um, so there is, you know, there is research that has um, uh, confirmed that um, dogs do develop cancerous tumors at injection sites. As a matter of fact, in um, the Journal of the American Veterinary Medical, uh, or Veterinary Medical Association, um, August 2003, um, volume 50, number six um, publication, they had um, the abstract um, of a study that showed, that documented that um, dogs also develop cancerous tumors at Rabies, rabies vaccination sites, okay. and cats, they knew that cats did, but this was the um, first study that I was aware of that um, recognized that it also happens with dogs, and <clears throat> the other um, issue is, the, um, you know, that the rabies vaccine, according to DVM News Magazine, um, has said that uh, rabies vaccines may be the most oncogenic of the veterinary vaccines, and oncogenic means um, developing tumors. Okay. And um, you were talking about, you know, that's just one of many adverse reactions. Some of the other documented adverse reactions um, of the rabies vaccines are um, polyneuropathy, which can result in 
um, muscular weakness, uh, inhibition, or interruption of um, neuronal control of tissue and organ function. Okay, and possibly co- even paralysis too, right? Oh, absolutely. Um, ataxia is one of um, the other um, adverse associations, um, and that's because the rabies vaccine contains a neurological protein. So there are neurological adverse reactions associated with this, um, incoordination, weakness, um, blood disorder. I've also heard, and and I'm I'm sorry, Chris, that I'm rushing us along, but we have such a limited amount of time, and there's so many things I want to ask you. Okay. But but even some minor situations uh, or health conditions can occur as a result of the vaccinations, like itching, uh, ear problems. Oh, absolutely. Um, Allergies, uh, seizures, they can have, um, dogs can have, uh, personality changes. They can become aggressive after this. Um, they can have disease, autoimmune diseases affecting their thyroid. You know, they can become hyper or hypothyroid. They can develop um, problems with their joints, you know, are, become arthritic, their blood, their eyes. Now, one of the interesting um, adverse, I mean, it's interesting, it's a, it's a terrible adverse reaction, but there are many dogs that have experienced uveitis and or development, rapidly developing cataracts, like within a day or so. Um, My goodness. Well, are there alternatives to this over-vaccinating that we're doing with our dogs? Unless your dog has a medical condition for which a veterinarian is willing to write a medical exemption or medical waiver for the animal, you have no choice. And there are only 13 states that um, do allow um, in their laws for the rabies um, waivers. And there are, despite that fact, um, there are many states that do allow, uh, uh, you know, unofficially accept waivers, even though it's not written in there. Well, let's talk about titer testing. That's a, a blood test. Yes. where owners can find out if their pets are still immune to a particular mm-hmm. disease, including mm-hmm. rabies. Mm-hmm. If their titer test comes back showing that they've got plenty of immunity still going strong, isn't that enough to satisfy the legal requirement for for rabies protection? This is a, a, an outstanding question for you to ask, and I'll tell you why. Um, the only standard that we have established for rabies titers is the one for humans. And that is extrapolated and applied to other mammalian species. That is why you will see no state law that will accept rabies titers in lieu of rabies vaccination because we do not have a standard that was established specifically for the canine species. One of the things that the Rabies Challenge Fund is doing, in it, in, um, as well as trying to determine the long-term duration of immunity of the canine rabies vaccine, is um, we, Dr. Ronald Schultz is going to attempt to establish a rabies titered standard for dogs. That would be outstanding. And do you think politicians who seem so rigid in their beliefs about making sure everybody gets rabies vaccinated, do you think they'll bend a little and allow for uh, titer testing results to 
to... They, they won't have to bend a little. Um, they won't need to be flexible because these will be, uh, this will be a tighter standard established on challenge studies. But don't you think the pharmaceutical companies will lobby against that and use scare tactics regardless of the veterinary research that's done to influence politicians to maintain the antiquated laws about this? I, I don't know why they would. If their own products are licensed uh, based on challenge studies, how could they argue against it? That would basically be saying that um, the science that has established the um, ability of them to license their vaccines is not credible. So but they'd I, be I, losing revenue, so I, I see a little bit of... <laughs> well, I'm sure that it... Um, I'm sure that it... Many people, many states will not just automatically accept it, but um, you know, this will be again, as I said, it will be research um, science based on the gold standard in veterinary vaccine research, which okay. is challenge studies. Okay. And what is California AB 258 all about? Well, AB 258 is a um, bill that it's actually the second time around. It, at first it was um, AB 2000 and it was not, it was passed by the um, House and um, unanimously and a um, Senate committee last year, but it was not funded by the Appropriations Committee. Um, and, and, and what did it, it involve? It, well, basically what it does is it inserts a medical exemption clause into the current um, requirements for licensing and rabies vaccination in the state, and um, there. This is also called Molly's bill. There's a, there's a dog whose life is on the line. Her veterinarian has written an exemption. If Molly receives a rabies vaccine, it will likely kill her. Oh, yeah. And her owners, you know, like all of us with dogs and and pets, every day we have with an animal is very precious, and mm -hmm. they would like to have Molly with them as long as possible. Now, the, the county where they live or the municipality will not allow her to go unvaccinated. And so this bill was submitted by um, Assemblyman Hagman in, in order to spare Molly's life and, and the lives of many other dogs you mm -hmm. know, that have uh, metastasized cancers, that may have kidney failure or heart failure, or who have had anaphylactic shock reactions. To so we need to call our representatives and have them support AB 258 here in California. And Absolutely. Is this information on your website? And if it is, let's give everybody your website information before I let you go. Uh, yeah, it should be on the Rabies Challenge Fund um, website, and that's www.rabieschallengefund.org. I also have set up a Facebook page for the Rabies Challenge Fund, and there's lots of information there. Um, and people can um, email me at ledgespring at lincoln.midcoast.com, and I can send them information that they're looking for. Um, and also, if they want to look on the California legislature's um, website and uh, do a bill search for AB 258, um, this bill, by the way, is going to be heard on April 6th in the Assembly Agriculture Committee. Now, I do have on the Rabies Challenge Fund website posted an action alert 
with the um, contact information for the members of that committee, and it's especially important to contact okay. the chair. So let's let's visit your website, and again, let's give that one more time, and then I'm going to have to say goodbye because we have to take a break. But let's get that website out. It's www.rabieschallengefund.org. Wonderful. Chris, you've given us a lot of really important information to think about, and I know the listeners will be checking out your website very soon. So thanks for bringing this all to our attention. Well, thank you for calling. Right now it's time for a quick message from the station, but don't go away. We'll be right back with Marianne Dell and her famous Animal Topics book reviews. So stay tuned to the Pet Lakes Radio Show here on KGIL Retro 1260. Welcome back to the Pet Place Radio Show. I'm Marie Hewlett, and it's time for my favorite part of the Pet Place, Book Reviews with Marianne Dell. Good morning, Marianne. Good morning, Marie. How are you? I'm doing very well, thank you. And I'm really excited about uh, hearing the two books that you reviewed this week. Yeah, I just happened to pick up these two books, both of which have been around a little while, and discovered when I started the second that they were kind of similar in subject matter. They both deal with the human-animal bond, the dog-animal bond, okay. and how dogs affect our lives and change them. Ah. So, so your first title is called Dog World and the Humans Who Live There. That is hysterical. I know. I love it. It's uh, by Alfred Gingold, who is an author. He's written uh, several humor books, and he talks about how he and his wife were not dog people at all didn't care, wasn't worried, weren't worried about it, lived in Brooklyn, you know, um, surprisingly more dogs there than you might think, but he didn't realize that until he and his wife decided that their son needed to be a dog person. Huh. Why was that? Uh, because they thought it was a good idea to have, a, you know, a boy should have a dog and that uh, whole routine. And, okay. And they did, they did their research. Um, you know, they didn't go my favorite route. They went to a breeder, but it seems like they researched and found a good breeder who was very knowledgeable, learned a lot about the breed. Mm-hmm. And they wound up with a little Nor- Norfolk Terrier named George. Hmm. And George actually became... Alfred's dog more than anybody. (laughs) (laughs) Funny how that works. Isn't it though? Yes. (laughs) That's why we always say when we adopt, make sure mom and dad understand no matter how much they're getting the dog, quote, for the kids, Mm -hmm. end quote, they need to know what's involved. (laughs) Definitely. Well, Alfred loved this. He just discovered a whole new world through George, as people often do. And living in Brooklyn, where there are some wonderful parks you can take dogs to, but not really wonderful backyards. So you wound up walking George several times a day, Mm -hmm. meeting other dog owners, discovering what he calls the dog world (laughs) in all its myriad wonderful ramifications like dog walkers and pet sitters and dog daycare and different kinds of food and toys and dog beds and dog clothes. (laughs) And, of course, ubiquitous and all-important trainers mm-hmm. <laughs> and the different methodologies involved there. And he kind of, he takes a look at the world through someone who found a dog and just discovered all the myriad wonderful avenues dogs can take us down. Yeah, I couldn't imagine life without a pet, so I'm sure this was 
a great experience for him. You and me both. In fact, it kind of one of the interesting things reading both these books, which are by people who had one dog, mm-hmm. I can't even imagine that because <laughs> I always have myriad dogs. Right. Uh-huh. <laughs> you and me both. <laughs> yep. So it's 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 kind of neat, though, the bond that does form. I think I have that same bond with all my dogs, but I'm sure there's something really, really special when it's just you and the dog, Mm -hmm. which is what the second book, Pack of Two, by Carolyn Knapp, is all about. She's a... Knapp, who is no longer with us, was a a little bit of a dysfunctional person by her own admission. She went through a pretty heavy bout of alcoholism. She was an anorexic at one point. Mm had real problems with relationships, would get in one and just could not come to a conclusion whether this was the right thing, whether it was her fault, what was going on. And being a very introspective sort who was sort of self-centered, and I don't mean that in a, in a, a negative way, self-centered in the way many, many writers are and people who write about relationships in the world experience as she does. Well, she went to the pound one day to look, we all know that routine, and came back with a puppy she named Lucille. And her book is all about how the bond changes us from a very, very psychoanalytical almost look Mm -hmm. at the different effects dogs have on relationships, how we view them. She spends a whole chapter on the dog as surrogate child issue determining that the people who think that basically just don't understand the dog relationship. Um, As we know, you're someone who has both. I'm someone who just has dogs, and I think we've both just made those decisions and are very comfortable with them. Sure. Mm -hmm. And that's the conclusion she came to. And um, she's a really, really good writer, really easy to read, She's not, while while much of what she writes is based on herself, it doesn't read at all as self-indulgent or Mm navel-gazing. It's really, really a neat way to look at the way we do view dogs. You know, a lot of us call them our kids or our grandkids. So many of my friends' parents refer to their, you know, grandpops. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> you know, uh-huh. um, and and we we put those familial terms on them. I think not because we don't have grandchildren or we want grandchildren or kids, but because we view them in the same way we view family. Yeah. They are family, and and that's how companion animals should be viewed. I think if most if more people looked at their pets as part of the family, we'd see less animals getting relinquished in shelters. Absolutely, and far fewer being left in backyards now, yards now, as people are foreclosed on and they leave their homes. I I understand when times get tough and finances are tough, you sometimes have to make hard choices. But, you know, I think I'd rather be a homeless person living on the street with my pets, (laughs) (laughs) leaving them in a backyard and, and moving on. Absolutely, and... You know, God, I certainly hope I never have to make this hard decision, but if there were simply only two choices, I absolutely would take my dogs to the shelter and give them a chance. Sure, definitely. At least they would be cared for and safe and not on the streets and starving. Mm-hmm. And I think people, 
just don't think about that. They really don't understand the depth to which animals do depend upon us. They really do. And, you know, I'm, I'm glad you're you're bringing that up because we've had some, some recent events going on in our world in Japan where there's been a lot of human tragedy and, and no doubt quite a lot of animal tragedy, too. And... I think it's a good opportunity to remind folks that we need to make sure we prepare for disasters here at home. Do you have any ideas? Absolutely. We live in earthquake country, and this is a very good lesson and wake-up call for us. Uh, What happened in Japan could just as easily happen here. I learned back when I volunteered in Louisiana after Katrina five and a half years ago. I have a ready bag in my bedroom. It's got old clothes that I haven't looked at since I packed it five years ago. Uh-huh. probably don't even fit. I really <laughs> See, I'm just as guilty. I probably should update with um, more comfortable clothes. But I have a pair of sneakers and socks and some T-shirts and a pair of jeans in there. And I have some dog collars. I have outside my home in a container, water, dog food that's human grade, and I'm not above if we all have to live on the human grade dog food for a couple of days doing that. Mm-hmm. Um, I have cash. It's really important that everybody have a stash of some kind of cash because ATMs, quite frankly, may not work. That's right. So you have to be prepared, folks, and Marianne's yep. given everybody some great advice and Thank you, Marianne, for the book reviews and for the tips on being prepared. You're welcome, Marie. We it's a pleasure. <laughs> <laughs> we need to take one last break, but we'll be right back here on the Pet Place Radio Show on KGIL for Retro 1260. Don't go away. We're back on the Pet Place Radio Show. I'm Marie Hewitt, and it's time for Pet Place News and Events. Did you know that April is Prevent Cruelty to Animals Month? The ASPCA would like you to go orange all month to show your support. Buildings across the United States will be lighting up in orange at night, and the ASPCA invites you to call your city council to find out how to get prominent buildings and landmarks in your area glowing orange throughout April. You can also decorate your own home with orange ribbons and bows, wear wear orange ribbons, make humane education presentations at schools, and pass out orange ribbons for the kids to wear. For more ideas about going orange for the animals, go to ASPCA.org. And don't forget to check out the Pet Place website at PetPlace.org to find out more Pet Place news. And once there, click on the contact link and say hi or give us some suggestions for topics you'd like to hear discussed on the show. That's all for me today. Remember, pets need love and a home, too. We'll be back next weekend here on KGIL Retro 1260. I'm Marie Hewitt. Please spay or neuter your pets and have a wonderful day. <laughs>